Hello and welcome to the Health Center podcast, the podcast that aims to empower listeners to take back control of their health and set a new health standard. I'm your host, Kirli, and in a world where university textbooks are outdated, together with the help of our co-host, Kristen Harvey, we aim to close the gap between researcher and reader, unpacking groundbreaking research as it is released so that everyday individuals have the information they need to achieve optimal health. Subscribe to our podcast and join us for group interviews, solo episodes, and Q&As as we delve deeper into quantum and circadian health and how you can optimize your environment for best health outcomes. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode two of the Health Standard Podcast. Today, I'm joined with a very special guest, someone who I have been following for a very long time. He is a wealth of information and a wealth of knowledge. Not only is he an amazing, phenomenal dentist, but his knowledge surrounding light water and magnetism is just truly again, phenomenal. And then when he combines his clinical application of dentistry with his knowledge surrounding light, water, and magnetism, he is just truly able to just create some amazing results with his clients. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Khan. Uh, The way I'm going to be starting my podcast is I'm going to ask everybody, what is your passion and what are you most passionate about at the moment? That's a really great question to start up with. Uh, And for me, I'm really passionate about the next generation, the next generation of uh, children who are going to be growing up and forming our future. And I'm really passionate about helping them achieve optimal health very early on and avoid a lot of the pitfalls of um, what, a, what a lot of people are battling through as adults and adolescents in terms of, you know, gut issues and um, hormonal dysfunctions and um, and all those type of things. So I really want to play my part in helping to, helping to steer the ship in the right direction so that we're not having to unwind all of these uh, chronic illnesses which are plaguing society. You've launched a program called the Quantum Kids. Could you please talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I'm really, really excited about the Quantum Kid. It's a program that I put together with a very good friend of mine. Um, He's an osteopath. His name is Cole Clayton. He's based up in Byron Bay. And so he's an eight-hour drive away. So why would a dentist and an osteopath who were eight hours away kind of (laughs) combine. And uh, the reason why is because our purpose is very aligned, our values are very aligned, and we're very passionate about um, what I just elaborated on earlier regarding children because we have so many children who are growing up with issues and parents are at their wit's end about what is driving, um, whether it's a chronic mouth breathing, whether it's adenoids and tonsils that are enlarged, whether it's bedwetting, whether it's um, visual issues. Um, there's so many little things which children are struggling with and uh, they're going to see four or five different clinicians, speech therapists, occupational therapists, this and that. And um, everyone is well-meaning um, as clinicians in trying to help these children and help these families But a lot of the time, some of those very foundational concepts um, regarding what optimal health looks like are actually missed. And so Cole and I, we kind of sat down and we literally put pen to paper at a restaurant one night after we had a kind of trial day where we worked together just to test it out. He treated my children. He treated a couple of other um, families and we really gelled well as clinicians in the same room. And so we kind of were like, okay, this, this can work. And so we put down... Um, on paper, what we thought were like the key principles for optimal health in children. And that really um, looked like those foundational concepts of light, water and magnetism, immersing in nature, returning to nature, understanding what are the 
um, aspects of current modern society that are actually influencing children's health these days. Um, and that's kind of like the, the the quantum lens, so to speak, you know, um, where we're understanding how the different um, spectrums of light can influence the way that electrons and protons dance inside of us. But uh, the other aspect which uh, we kind of put down on that separate column, um, we had two columns. One was like the functional side of things, which is all that quantum stuff, and then the other side was the structural side of things. And so that other column was really understanding how the bones work in unison with each other rhythmically, the head, the jaws, um, the pelvis, the sacrum, the tailbone, and um, how that all starts when the baby is growing in the mother's womb and how that continues to this day in both you and I and everyone listening, that rhythmic movement of the bones and how that really impacts the information that flows through the quantum communication highway that is fascia. So when we were sitting down and nutting it out what we thought the vision would be for an ideal child, it kind of made sense that we were looking to create and work together to build a new generation of quantum children or quantum kids where we're using those quantum concepts, but we're also using kind of the manual therapy concepts such as osteopathy, edge or development, airways, breathing, sleep, because there's so many children that aren't sleeping well. And uh, that's the program which we've launched two, three months ago. And we've been very grateful because from the outset, we've been fully booked. We've been really well received by families in terms of how the approach is. We're not seeing ourselves as the healers. We're seeing ourselves as purely clinicians that are helping to unlock the key so that the children can heal themselves. And so it's a very different lens because we're not trying to play God. We're just trying to play the middleman that's just helping to unlock the power within those children. I think that's actually so fascinating because many quantum health clinicians are really focusing on, and we've noticed that the principles of light, water, magnetism, quantum biology are so effective in treating illness later on in life. And I think that's where it's automatically gone, heal the sick, uh, this new powerful modality, whereas you've really just taken it one step further or really one step back and you're actually wanting to implement these processes and this modality in children before they have a chance to actually get sick in the first place. Yes, and the reason why is because we also work with a lot of adults, Cole and I, and it's really, really hard to reverse a lot of the issues that these adults are having. Um, it doesn't mean that with our Quantum Kid program we're walking away from treating adults because in some ways we feel a responsibility with our approach to help adults kind of reverse a lot of the issues that they're having. Um, but uh, that being said, we want to prevent as many children as possible from ending up like the adults that we're treating. So it's not like we're neglecting the adults. But, yeah, it is really kind of nipping it in the bud early. And children, as you know, Kira, like they are so powerful in terms of how quickly they can heal mm -hmm. and um, how quickly their life can turn around. Um, I was just looking at my son started treatment with Cole and I. He was our, he's proudly our first patient, our first quantum kid patient. And um, we took a photo of him in July, and I took a photo of him earlier this week. So it's been about 10, 11 weeks. And the postural changes in him and the facial changes within three months uh, are just phenomenal. It's uh, so exciting for me, honestly, as a father, to be able to help my son achieve that optimal facial development, which um, means his brain's working better, he's breathing better, he's sleeping better, he's going to perform better cognitively. And now he's like, when I took a photo of him three months ago, he kind of, his head was tilting off to the right and he was turning his head this way and you could 
I could see in his face that he was tensing quite hard to keep his lips together because it wasn't a natural pose for him. The natural resting pose for him was lips open and perhaps a little bit of mouth breathing and his tongue wasn't in an optimal place. And over the last two, three months, he's been working hard to restore that optimal tongue function, which is something we can maybe get into later. And he's been wearing an appliance while he sleeps, et cetera. And his face has just transformed. Everyone that sees him after even four weeks is like, what are you guys doing? Like he's just changed completely. And it's in a, it's in a beautiful way. And um, we're just allowing him to express to his full potential. And I can't tell you how exciting that is as a clinician, because I've been a dentist for 12 years and, uh, we're just trained to think about teeth, right? And very few of us graduate from thinking about teeth and realizing that the teeth are actually connected to the jaws. And so we need to start thinking about jaws. And a lot of the dentists that are thinking about jaws, like, okay, the jaws are too small. There's an epidemic of that. The evidence for that, you don't need a randomized control trial. Just look at how many people have braces and how many people need braces or have crowded teeth are a symptom of a small jaw. And so they start to like make the jaws bigger and they're using expanders and different types of appliances, but they're not appreciating that they need to go a little bit further in their thinking and their approach and understand that the jaws are actually an extension of the cranium, of the skull. And so when you have a skull that is locked up, and that's something which I can elaborate on if you like, but when the skull is locked up, it actually prevents the jaws from growing forwards and growing wide so that we don't get this beautiful face because we love beauty. Um, there's nothing wrong with that, but beauty always or, or form is always um, a sign of good function, right? And so when we have these heads that are locked up, it restricts the jaws from growing properly, and that's how we have the crowded teeth. So pretty much for me, it's almost an understanding of mine that whenever I see crowded teeth, I think there's some sort of cranial strain which is restricting that jaw from expressing itself optimally okay we have this pandemic as you said of children that are having crowded teeth adults with crowded teeth and you're saying that this is a problem with the jaw and the jaw not being able to fully expand or reach its full potential is that right and so That's you're also saying that this is caused by a locked jaw so do you want to tell us more about this this not locked jaw sorry uh cranium issues so how does that yes. emerge when does that start sure so it can start right back to birth. So what happens is to understand what a cranial strain or a locked jaw looks like, it's really good to, to spend a few minutes understanding how the cranium, how the head normally works. And so we have all these bones and mothers will know that um, like the bones when the baby is born is not fused. There's like a fontanelle that you can that you can feel. And as the brain grows underneath the bones of the head that drives the growth of the bones and so then the bones slowly start to grow and fuse together in what we call the suture and those sutures we're taught are fused and like they're completely ossified meaning that there's no movement it's like literally they're just concreted glued together there's mm -hmm. no give but how can that possibly be the case when like the brain itself is pumping cerebrospinal fluid down the spinal column and back up and there's movement within the brain. Yes, I know it's wrapped in the cerebrospinal uh, fluid, the CSF, which um, is an important quantum fluid, as, a, as you know. Um, but uh, these bones are actually moving and they're moving rhythmically. So they're kind of whenever we breathe in, the bones are moving out. 
And then whenever we exhale, the bones are moving in. So it's kind of a respiration that has little to do with oxygen and carbon dioxide and everything to do with motion. And so the bones are moving out, the cranial bones, the temple bones, the frontal bone, the occipital bone at the back, which is where the visual cortex of the brain lies. So there's a lot of children that are growing up with visual issues and they might be seeing behavioral optometrists. I was just talking to a mother yesterday who had three of her four children see a behavioral optometrist and um, never really got any good results. And to me, that's a sign of an occipital bone strain at the back of compression. So if we've got this rhythmic movement of the cranial bones, and that's actually happening in sync with the tailbone because they're connected together via a very thin sheet, a membrane called the dura mater. I know I'm getting a bit technical, but hang with me. And so basically we've got this thin sheet, which is anchored into the tailbone and it wraps around the spinal cord comes up through the center of the skull and it attaches into the skull from the inside. And the the tailbone is moving in sync with the, the bones of the head. So what happens then if you're riding a horse one day and you fall off because you're a beginner or something and you land on your, on your tailbone? There's obviously going to be some sort of torsion or twist in the tailbone and that actually twists on the dura mater that is connecting into the head. And so we have like a compensatory twist potentially the other way to negate whatever traumas happened down at the tailbone. And so when you have a like when you have a pull on the on the bones of the head this way or this way or down or like that, that can actually impact that rhythmic movement of the bones, that respiratory mechanism that I'm talking about. So now that cranium is locked up, it's moving, but it's not moving as well. It's kind of like restricting then all of the other bones that are part of the cranial facial complex of which the jaws are one. Similarly, you can have a head trauma and a head trauma might be the way that a child is born. And I know like this can sometimes be a controversial topic and I'm not trying to um, be controversial in any way, but um, children are born as C-sections. And so one of the benefits of passing through the birth canal is that the birth canal actually shapes the head of the baby so that it can have that optimal rhythmic motion. Obviously, there's the microbiome components to coming through the birth canal as well. But um, the other things to consider is that when a baby is born C-section, commonly the head needs to be you know, handled in some sort of way in order to deliver baby or the baby might be a forceps delivery or a vacuum delivery. And all these type of things actually impact how the head rhythmically moves, how the head forms, because it is like an intervention in some way. And so these are traumas. Other examples of traumas are like car accidents and whiplash. Or I've had instances where young girls have come in and um, they had a they had a friend that thought it would be a good idea to pull the chair out from behind them when they were about to sit down at school and then they land on their tailbone and it's like bruised for a week and then they don't think much of it but like 10 years later they end up with like a clicking drawer and tmd issues and a lot of the time it dates back to those traumas so then once we have this restriction of the jaws because of primary traumas to the head or to the tailbone we start to get the crowded teeth but we've got the crowded teeth in like a twisted cranium or a twisted head. And so what we as a profession have been doing for way too long is we have been straightening teeth and creating beautiful smiles in a twisted cranium. And so we basically lock that person into those strains of the traumas that they had before. And so now they start to develop 
even worse issues, they start to develop maybe shoulder pain or hip pain or lower back pain or pain between their shoulder blades. These are common symptoms and signs that I see, or just headaches and head and neck pain because the muscles of the neck and the muscles of the jaws are being used for posture as opposed to for what they're supposed to be used for, which is biting and mastication, etc. And so then they're going to go and see a physiotherapist or they're going to see some sort of manual therapist to help them relieve their pain and they're going to feel better, but then they're going to go and have their first meal after that physio appointment with their beautiful straight teeth, with a nice smile, and they're going to basically click back into the strain that they were just adjusted out of. And so like the teeth close the postural circuit. So if the teeth are in a position which is not in sync with that rhythmic movement of the head and the sacrum, the tailbone, then that person can basically never get out of the trouble that they're in. And they might see a physio once a month, once every two months for like years and think it's normal that they constantly need an adjustment of their neck or their shoulders, et cetera. But as far as I'm concerned, that's not normal because that's not a root cause approach to why they need those adjustments. It's another example of a Band-Aid approach. Wow. Okay. So that makes a lot of sense to me. But for anyone who perhaps doesn't have a medical degree or a a background in biology, what you're saying, and you can interrupt me if I'm wrong, is that our our body has this sort of rhythmic movement and this, you know, all the way to the top of our head, to our tailbone, through our dura matter, this is all connected. And so if you have a problem and let's say one part of your body, maybe from a trauma, as you said, you had that woman whose chair was pulled out from underneath her, she's hit her tailbone, that's actually going to affect what's happening at the top of your body at the other end because it's still all connected. Exactly. And so when we address an issue like this, common practice would be to see a physio or to see a dentist. But this is kind of the same thing. We're treating the body in isolation, but it's all connected. And so I suppose what you've done with your Quantum Kids program is you've kind of connected these two parts in a physical sense and and in a clinical sense because you've got an osteopath, osteopath, sorry, Cole, and then yourself as a dentist coming together to really heal in a holistic sense. Exactly, because... It's very easy for me to be trapped in my silo and just kind of know that there's something wrong with the jaws. And I was trapped in that silo, if I'm honest. But what I had was I would have a patient that was, we'll call her Kira A, and then we had another patient who was Kira B, and both of you had the same presentation, the same clinical presentation. You both came in with the same pain and the same appearance and the same compensations. And I would make a dental appliance for you Kira A and it would work but then I would make a dental appliance for Kira B and it wouldn't work and so I would feel bad about that because you know Kira B's paid money for this and you know it's a service which I'm you know wanting to work as opposed to not work obviously and um, so that forced me to go back to the drawing board and kind of think okay what's missing here What, what am I missing similar to kind of how I stumbled upon the whole quantum biology world is that there was something missing for for patients who were struggling with chronic illness. And um, I was kind of pushing and pushing and pushing. And this is where the quantum realm works beautifully. Like quantum entanglement happens with me every day, like for all of us. But um, we had patients that were bring, slowly bringing Cole and I together. You know, like Cole and I were both treating patients because of my approach, which was still yet to be fully evolved to in, involve an osteopath. Um, I was still kind of thinking outside the box in terms of the dental appliances that I was using. And so I had patients coming down from 
where Cole lives um, in Byron Bay and uh, they were working with me and then they'd see Cole and so then they'd start to talk to Cole. Cole, you got to speak to Jalal. Jalal, you got to speak to Cole. And eventually we we connected. And um, yeah, everything just exploded after that. So it's it's super, super exciting. When you jump out of your silo as a clinician and you start to try and heal people with other clinicians, I have found personally that it is a more pure expression of me as a clinician to be working with someone else as opposed to just working on my own. And so it's definitely more fulfilling for me we are also getting better results for our patients and um, there's no better feeling than that. Yeah, I can imagine. And again, you can see in your face, you're truly passionate about this. It is exciting. I mean, you have single-handedly just created through Quantum Kid a whole new modality of healing. Like never before in history have we had an osteopath and a dentist or really two health physicians working together the way that you and Cole are. Yeah, so I mean, I would say that there's there are some that have worked in the past together, um, but more more often than not, that's been in the US or in Europe, and but that's very, a very old style. Like this is 30, 40, 50 years ago. Whereas, to my knowledge, um, Cole and I working in the same room, I don't think that has necessarily happened in Australia um, recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason that we're quite committed to, like, we're committed in such a way that, like, we've already mapped out our calendar for the next fifteen months. So like we know the days or the weeks where we can't go on holidays because we've committed to the Quantum Kid program. That's how committed we are to it. Um, And uh, the reason why is because whenever I put an appliance in someone's mouth, Cole is there feeling their head, feeling their cranium, feeling that rhythmic movement of the bones. And he's sensing that and telling me whether or not the head is receptive to the appliance that i've made or if the head is rejecting it and so when when you have an osteopath that's there to feel that he can tell me jalal kira's not happy with this appliance she's her head's not responding the way that i expect it to so you need to do something and cole doesn't know what what needs to be done he doesn't know what appliance what adjustment needs to be done to the appliance he just knows that something's wrong and then it's my job as a dentist to kind of look in the mouth and have a look at the appliance, see how it's fitting, see how it's biting with your your opposing arch of your teeth, et cetera. I'll make a few adjustments. We try it back in. And then it might take a few turns and then he's like, okay. And usually the the words that Cole says is, now her head is singing. Um, And uh, those are my favorite words um, because it means that uh, we've um, got this appliance working for, for your cranium. And therein lies the beauty because what would happen otherwise is you come and see me i put an appliance in your mouth you go away you go and see cole or an osteopath in the same city there might be a 30 minute drive away let's say you're a young mother of three children we know how busy that is so you've got to make an appointment with the osteo the osteo sees your child with the appliance in the mouth and says no that appliance isn't working well you've got to go back and see jalal so then the mother calls back my receptionist and says, I need to see Jalal because the appliance isn't working well for my child. I'm booked out for the next week or week and a half. And so she can only get in, you know, 10 days later. That's a further delay to treatment starting. And then I make an adjustment. And then she's got to go back to the osteopath to check that it's working. And it's like all these appointments cost money. And so, you know, um, cost money and cost time. But Cole and I are in the same room and we get it all done inside 20, 30 minutes. And there's no toing and froing with travel. It's just easy. Yes, it's a bespoke type of treatment, um, but but it's easy for parents. And that's that's what we're passionate about because we know how busy lives are. We know how much 
mothers and fathers have on with school and and sports and extracurricular activities and piano and karate etc so if we can just get everything done in one appointment it just makes it easy and the results are better yeah and definitely more enjoyable experience for both the the client and yourselves as well connecting 100 percent so I want to chat a little bit about these appliances that you're using to obviously fix issues from a dentist perspective. So as you're kind of doing the work inside the mouth, you've got coal there, you know, testing, seeing if the body is accepting that device. Now, yes. I would like to chat a bit about how doing this and implementing this in the first place is going to stop the child from experiencing worse symptoms later on. So you mentioned crowded teeth. Would you like to talk a little bit about crowded teeth and what type of symptoms or illnesses can actually develop if that's actually left untreated? That's a really great question. So if you have crowded teeth that are left untreated, remember the crowded teeth are a symptom, okay? Just like eczema in the skin is a symptom of something else, just like hair loss is a symptom. And I will also just do a, a sidestep and say that, like, let's say someone's foot is a, a shoe size nine and um, they're trying to squeeze into a shoe that is a size seven. Obviously, the shoe is too small, right? And so, like, the toes are going to have to, like, you know, crumple over each other and somehow squeeze in and, like, it's not going to look nice. It's going to look like crowded teeth. <laughs> so are we going to cut off a toe to make the foot fit the shoe size seven or are we going to just pick a bigger shoe size? Yeah, we're going to pick a bigger shoe size. Exactly. And so how do you pick how do you get a bigger shoe size? You need to see a dentist that's able to expand the palate, expand the jaw, make it appropriate, but you need to expand that jaw in sync with that ry rhythmic movement of the bones, which is why you need to have a the osteopath there because you can't expand a jaw in a cranium that's not willing to receive the bigger jaw. Mm -hmm. but, uh, some of the other symptoms that I see um, in the quantum kid clinic um, are things like, bedwetting that might be lingering into you know age seven eight nine ten when it should have been you know well passed by then um, it could be chronic mouth breathing or chronic uh, just blocked nose um, a nasal voice it could be recurrent ear infections it could be changes to appetite or a poor appetite it could be a child not wanting to go to sleep and yes there's blue blue light has a role to play in that you know with the degradation of melatonin as you very well know but in addition to that a lot of children don't want to sleep because subconsciously they know how hard it is for them to sleep because it's very labored breathing for them and it's literally a threat to their survival every single night because it's so hard for them to breathe and then they have to crane their neck up and that's how they breathe you know, they're like hyperextending their head in order to breathe. Why are they doing that? To get the tongue off the airway, to make it easier to breathe. These are all examples of like some of the, uh, the common symptoms that we see. There's obviously a behavioral issue in a lot of children that we see, sometimes delays in cognitive development. And all of that kind of boils down to just a buildup of lymph in the brain. Because one of the things that we focus on as well is like lymphatic drainage. Um, because that really helps to just clear out a lot of the junk that builds up inside of our heads. Okay, so do you think it's a problem with the development of the skull that's actually limiting the amount of drainage that's happening in that child? Yeah, exactly, because that restriction in the movement of the bones is restricting the drainage of the lymph. So what 
gets lymph moving it's movement right it's motion it's going for a run is getting on a rebounder and jumping on that um, for for five minutes you know you see videos online of people doing like lymphatic drainage massages to their stomachs to help with their gut movement etc the same thing's happening in the head it's just that the bones are doing it naturally now this is really interesting because from a root cause perspective i love to see uh, nutritionists and other health professionals and i never want to take away from anyone's work but implementing these things like jumping on a trampoline, lymph massages, all these things, they're great modalities to get that lymph moving. But for me, I'm like, in history, when have we ever had to do that just to survive and live a healthy life? So, I mean, yes, there's a couple of considerations there. We've never had to do that before modern life because we were always moving, right? We were hunter-gatherers. There was a lot of motion just in day-to-day life. It wasn't sedentary where we were sitting in front of a computer for nine, ten hours a day at work. Um, in addition to that, uh, the the motion of the bones is really draining the lymph of the head because mm-hmm. um, uh, that whole glymphatic system. And so that is then traveling down through the jugular foramen, which is just behind the ear here. And uh, that's the main area of the body where the cranial bone movement is draining the lymph from. It's the head. But that helps with things like brain fog and um, difficulties concentrating because all of a sudden now, all of that, you know, junk and toxins and waste products that is building up in the lymph can start to get out. And so when my son started this protocol with Cole and I for the, he, he had chronic nasal obstruction for at least six to nine months. And, you know, I was an airways dentist and my wife was like, Jalal, what are you doing? We can't, you know, we can't even um, help our son. And it was another example of like, I knew I was missing something. I just didn't know what I was missing. So we started the protocol with my son and uh, it wasn't just all about the appliance and the osteopathy because, you know, he's grounding a lot. He's spending a lot of time in the sun. He's got beautiful melanin. He's glowing. I love looking at my kids. He's, uh, he does red light therapy in daylight hours. We've completely tidied up his diet. He He already had a pretty good diet, but there was one thing that he was pretty adamant on which we would be a little bit soft on and that was um toast in the mornings but we just went hard and i just edu- literally i educated him about you know the hybridized gluten that's in the toast and like this is why it's bad for you etc and i found that um the more i actually spoke to him as if he was an adult and explained to him um why something was bad for him he was actually more inclined to then not ask for it or not even make a fuss about it if I was not giving it. Now he doesn't even ask for it. He knows it's not an option. We don't have toast in the house anymore. And, you know, he comes asking me, Dad, when are we having some DHA? You know, my daughter who's four, she asked me like every second day, Dad, can I have some liver? And so when you educate the children on why particular foods are healthy and why particular foods are unhealthy, they start to make better choices. And they're only four and seven years old. So I think our children are a lot more intelligent than what we give them credit for. Um, But so those dietary changes also had a big role to play just in um, fine tuning and making sure that it was less inflammatory. So we started all of that. In three days, everything drained out. So his poos were runny. His nose was like continuously runny, but I wasn't concerned about it because it wasn't a snotty, dry type of um, discharge, which tells me that everything's still plugged up there. He was just continuously draining. So for three days he drained, everything came out, and um, he hasn't had anything ever since. His voice has changed a little bit. His face has completely changed. His posture has changed. He's more upright now. His head's right on the middle of his body as opposed to tilting off. 
And like honestly, I wish people could see the photos of his before and after, but the um the powers that be don't like don't allow us to share before and afters um of results, which is sad, but because um people would see these results and be like, Well, we need to get in on this. Yeah, it sounds truly powerful. I just the results that you've had with your children are just phenomenal, really. And it's it's an example of non-linear implementations. I mean, these small changes that you're making are just leading to massive results and just really setting them up. You know, we always talk about setting our children up for a successful life, whether that be financially or whatnot. But really, we should really be looking at their health because that's what's going to make the main impact is how their how their jaw develops, how their brain develops, the capacity that they're able to retain information. That's also going to influence influence their life just as much. And they're going to sleep better, right? Exactly. And we know how regenerative sleep is from all the oxidizing effects of day-to-day life. And um, I think one of the one of the words you used just then, which was really powerful, was that word nonlinear, because we are an open system. We're an open quantum thermodynamic system. We're constantly interacting with the environment, and um, we're taking those environmental cues. You know, as I'm sure you'll come to as you um, go through more guests on the podcast, like the eyes, the skin, the gut. This is how we're interacting with the environment and we're taking those cues and that drives all the cellular processes in a cyclical circadian way. But in addition to that, from a postural perspective, the body is nonlinear as well. So improvements in the mouth, improvements in the breathing have nonlinear effects throughout the body and they're amplified much like one photon in through the eye amplifies a million fold when you get a good mouth and it's good facial form that is amplified several 10, if not 100-fold in terms of how the body works more optimally. We touched on a bit of information before that I wanted to just jump back to. So we spoke about some of the implications that can happen if you don't address the problems with the issue when the child's quite young, let's say crowded teeth, which we spoke about before. You mentioned mouth breathing, and I think that this is a really powerful topic and parents need to really understand the implications of this later in life. Fundamentally, nose is for breathing, mouth is for eating. quite simple. It's as simple as that. So when a child is mouth breathing, that tells me that their nose is blocked. And it could be somewhere along the way. It could be the turbinate, which are the little burns on the side wall of the nose. It could be further back. It could be the adenoids, could be the tonsils. And um, that then basically allows or prevents the child from the benefits of nasal breathing. So what are those? Basically, when we breathe in through our nose, The nose has all these twists and turns with all the bones, et cetera, and that starts to pressurize the air so that the air can get deeper down into our lungs, not just the top two-thirds, but deep into that bottom third of the lungs. In addition to that, the nose, the paranasal sinuses release nitric oxide into the air that we are breathing in, but that only happens when you breathe in through your nose. And we know nitric oxide is really good for our health on many levels. In addition to that, We've got filtration of the air that's coming through. And there's so there's basically so many good things that are happening when we're breathing in through our nose. When we're breathing in through our mouth, what happens is, is we miss out on the filtration. We miss out on the nitric oxide release. We are not pressurizing the air as it comes in. And so we're just basically swallowing this massive gulp of air. They say we breathe in and out three to four times more air through our mouth than our nose because there's no control of the volume because of the pressurization and so we end up dumping too much carbon dioxide 
And carbon dioxide is really important as a gas because one of its major functions in the blood is something called buffering. So just because of metabolism and, and all these types of things, sometimes the blood can become a little bit too acidic or a little bit too alkaline. Um, and so, but it's got to stay within a very strict range, which is known as the chemical axis 7.35 as the pH on the lower end and 7.45. And so, what keeps the blood pH within that very strict boundary is carbon dioxide because it can turn into um, carbonic acid or it can turn into bicarbonate. And that's how it buffers both ends of that pH balance. So if you're dumping too much carbon dioxide out through mouth breathing, you're actually losing carbon dioxide to the environment, which prevents your body's ability to optimally buffer the chemical axis of your blood. And so that's another reason why mouth breathing isn't good. And the the other final thing, which is more a structural kind of thought, is that when you're mouth breathing, the tongue is down. So it doesn't actually get to be resting up against the roof of the mouth like yours is right now as you listen to me. You know, your nasal breathing, it's quiet breathing, your lips are closed, your tongue's against the roof of your mouth. You can't do any of that when your mouth is open to breathe. And so the importance of the tongue being resting up against the roof of the mouth is it actually drives the growth and development of the upper jaw. Much like if we rewind to earlier on in the recording and I was saying how the brain drives the growth of the cranial bones, the tongue actually drives the growth of the upper jaw. And so with mouth breathing, we miss out on the tongue being up against the upper jaw to make it bigger. And one other thing is, is that when you have that pressure of the tongue on the upper jaw, it's going to drain the nose of all the lymph buildup. So you miss out on that. So then you get the enlarged adenoids, you get the enlarged tonsils, and those are fire alarms in the house, basically saying there's smoke in the house. Mm -hmm. And then ENTs will remove those. And what they're essentially doing is just removing the batteries of the fire alarm. But the root but the, but the smoke is still there. Mm -hmm. Now, there are definitely instances where like we need like an emergency surgery because the tonsils are like what we call kissing. So they're so enlarged that it's literally blocking the airway. That needs surgical intervention. But there are certainly many, many cases where the tonsils could easily be reduced in size through lifestyle changes, dietary changes, light environment changes, EMF changes, optimal dental and osteopathic care. And so you loop all of those together. That's the Quantum Kid program. Yeah, wow, that's super interesting. I mean, all these symptoms that you're talking and speaking on, it's like they can all be linked back to original symptoms of mouth breathing or crowded, then mouth breathing comes from crowded teeth in some instances. And then, you know, if children are suffering with this more and more, I see, and as you explained, yeah. this could be partially due to birth interventions. C-sections are becoming more common. I have a question for you, and it's do you think that this, uh, you know, our mothers are, and our fathers are just humans too, right? If they suffered a traumatic injury, say, when they were children or even later in life, and this has affected their posture and the way that their body functions, do you think that this malalignment in their physical body is leading to the increased need for birth interventions in their children? I think it's uh, perhaps more of a, more relevant to women just because they're actually delivering baby. So once again, I'm a man that is abdicating all responsibility. No, <laughs> um, 
yeah, I think it's definitely more uh, pertinent for women to be considerate of their health, of their postural health, of their pelvic health um, leading into pregnancy. And I know that that's like a, a whole area that you're very passionate about is working with women who are struggling with fertility or thinking about getting um, getting pregnant. But these this whole postural consideration is also quite important as well because it could potentially reduce the chance for needing a c-section or some sort of intervention if the system is more primed and optimal for a natural delivery yeah that makes sense to me and i guess if you're addressing this as you are through your quantum kid program with the new generation they're less likely to need surgical intervention when they actually birth children because you're fixing these malalignments at such a young age that the rest of their body is growing and developing just as nature intended exactly and i mean when we onboard a child to our program, um, the parents get quite a, you know, quite a few dot points in a document, which turns out to be maybe eight, nine pages. And we're laying out like, these are the expectations. Um, obviously the child has to wear the appliance, don't lose the appliance, don't allow the dog to get a hold of the appliance, all of those things. But we talk about blue light in that document. We talk about sleep hygiene. We talk about diet. We talk about time in nature. We talk about reducing stress in the home. We talk about lighting environment at home, screen time, all of these things. Because if a parent wants an extraordinary child, which we all want, then they need to go to extraordinary lengths to provide the optimal environment for them to heal and express themselves fully. And so they have to be willing to make those lifestyle changes themselves so that the children can be optimal. But if a parent is not willing to implement some of those changes that we outline in that, we call it a parent agreement. Um, if they're not willing to implement those changes, then essentially they're doing the child a disservice and the, the program won't work as well because we're not saying that the dental appliance and the osteopathic work is going to save all the children and that's all that's all that they need. It's, it's a bottoms-up approach. Everything needs to be in line, which is why it is called the Quantum Kid Program because it's a quantum approach where... We're not just saying that there's one answer, a magic bullet to everything. Mm -hmm. You've got to have all bases covered. You've got to have the functional. You've got to have the light. You've got to have the postural. That's how we lay it out. I think that's so important. It reminds me of a conversation I actually had on my first episode of the podcast with Dr. Jack Cruz, and the second half's not out yet. But he mentioned that I asked him what he was doing differently uh, in a decentralized fashion as a clinician. And he said, if you come on board as my client, there's a contract that you need to sign. You need to make the changes and I need to do the work. As a, as a client, you should be able to fire your health professional and your health professional should be able to fire you as a client if you're not working with them to achieve health. And I think that's so important. And I think you're doing the same thing in the quantum kid by keeping not people accountable as such, but just guarding them and showing them that it really is diet and lifestyle changes that need to be addressed as well, not just the physical, you know, you come in for 30 minutes and everything's fixed. There is a holistic approach that you're definitely tackling there. And the education is is so important. And you've also done that with the document, which I think is great. Because as you said, with your children, it's like when you go to a traditional doctor, they just tell you, okay, this is what you need to do. You're allergic to this. Or they give you some sort of plan, but they give you no education. And I think the piece was missing is truly that. It's the education because when you understand why implementing them, implementing the changes are so much easier to achieve. 100%. And I think uh, in this system of centralised health, which we're trying to shift via the people, 
it's the abdication of responsibility on, from the individual which has led to this centralized system being um, so uh, so widespread. So we have to onboard responsibility again as individuals, as parents. We have to teach our children to onboard responsibility again for themselves. We are onboarding responsibility as health clinicians, much like patients hold us accountable. I think it's great that we should be entitled to hold our patients accountable for at least doing A, B, and C to give children the best chance or patients the best chance of healing. So um, yeah, I definitely think it works both ways and can only be clapped with two hands. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, it truly is powerful and the education component, yeah, has definitely been missed. And I guess we've been like sold this pharmaceutical industry ideology for such a long time that there really is a pill for every ill. And if and quite commonly, those those pills for those ills, they cause various other symptoms, like one that you touched on that I'm very passionate about is melatonin. And children are being prescribed melatonin, you know, sometimes from the ages of three years old, which I think is truly just very heartbreaking. And if you wanted to, actually, you could go into that if you'd like and melatonin and why that's so bad for children's health. And then I guess the treatment that you're providing, you know, people take melatonin to fix their sleep problems. And you've just given us a whole host of uh, reasons why and root cause reasons why sleep's actually uh, becoming an issue for children. Yeah, sure. So um, melatonin, obviously, is super important. It's uh, known as commonly as the hormone of darkness. It does a lot more than that. It is released by the pineal gland to help tell our brain that it is dark. And then our system responds accordingly or in a circadian way to start to drive all the processes that begin while we're asleep, which is leptin signaling and growth hormone signaling and all these types of things. Um, melatonin also starts to cool down our body, which increases our body's um, magnetism or receptiveness for the Earth's magnetic field. That's the whole quantum side of things. Um, but melatonin is also a really, really important antioxidant, and um, it's very powerful in terms of what it does in the brain to help clean house after um, after all of the damage which our body is naturally going to go through, whether that's being outside and being active or working or whatever the case is. And so one of the key roles is that it restores all of the light receptors in our body, um, all of the photoreceptors, because only 5% of the melatonin in our body is actually made in the brain. The rest is actually made in the gut. And the melatonin is made inside the mitochondria of our cells. So it's a very, very kind of widespread and far-reaching um, hormone in terms of what it does. And um, I think that one of the key points is the one I just mentioned is that it helps to restore all of the light receptors, what we call photoreceptors in our body, things like DHA, which is part of our cell membranes. It helps to restore the mitochondria and drive two main processes of um of it, one of which is autophagy, which is kind of like self-renewal um, of the mitochondria and the cells. And then the other one is apoptosis, which is like a programmed cell death. So that's what melatonin does. And if children are needing to take melatonin because they're struggling to fall asleep, then I'm asking, I'm asking myself as a clinician, what is happening in that child's lifestyle, which is degrading melatonin levels and commonly blue light has a big role to play as does electromagnetic frequencies things like wi-fi etc a lot of electromagnetic frequencies are released by handheld devices things like ipads and phones um there was a post that i put up a little while ago on instagram about the inverse square law and because children's arms are shorter their 
devices that they're holding are much closer to their eyes than a device that an adult is holding. And so that increases the damage. Add to that the fact that all of the nerves and brains of the children up until at least early teens, their brains are not myelinated. And myelin is a very protective sheath around the nerves, which um, you and I have now that we're a bit older, but children don't have. And so if we're having to give melatonin to our children, I mean, there's research to suggest that it could potentially thin the eye um, or, or thin the, the retina inside the eye. And um, it's uh, going to upset the natural melatonin cycles that we have inside of our body. So we've got um, these natural cycles where if we're going to then supplement with something, it actually affects the way that our natural feedback cycles work. And so that then that influences how much melatonin our body makes naturally because our body's like, oh, well, if I'm going to get it from somewhere else, I'll make less of it myself. And um, so, so many reasons why supplementing melatonin um, is not good. But uh, for me, the the, the the few big ones are it's the upsetting of the body's natural ability to make melatonin um, being perhaps the most important. So we then have to ask ourselves, well, why is that child not looking forward to sleep? Why is that child so wide? Blue light always has a role to play. EMF always has a role to play. Breathing difficulties, as I've touched on, has a huge role to play. And so when you educate the children, like I actually sit down with the children and I educate them, things like the blue light, and uh, they always walk away kind of feeling some sort of a responsibility to not let down Jalal and Cole because we become their friends. And, you know, we want to celebrate their successes. We ask parents to send us videos when the child wakes up for the first time with their appliance still in their mouth, which is a sign that they like slept the whole night with the appliance in. And that might take them a week or two weeks, but we ask for that. So we want to celebrate the wins. But at the same time, we want to, as clinicians, hold our children accountable and we can only do that if we build trust with them and build that rapport with them. So children don't want to let us down. And um, to me, that's a really great way to uh, um, cultivate this responsibility in children. And um, if that's a way to get them to have better health, then I'm really happy with that. We've spoken a lot about children here and children's health and, and your Quantum Kid program and what you're doing to, to help children. Is there anything out there, you know, perhaps another program that you've designed to help adults? Yeah, so Cole and I both still work together to to treat adults and the similar principles apply. It's all about understanding where the primary trauma is, when was it. So we take time with our adults, talking to them about their birth history, their trauma history, car accidents, etc. Um, we spend time understanding what's their what's their life like, what's their social life like, what's their personal life like, what's their work life like because we need to understand all of these stressors. Um, and then, you know, understanding the the dental history side of things, what have they had done? Had they had braces? Had they had teeth out before braces? And so many times we have people who've had some sort of significant trauma and then very soon after they have braces and it comes back to that thing that I was talking about, the braces, straighten out the teeth, beautiful smile, straight teeth in the, in the twisted cranium. And then they start to present one, two, three years later with like, TMJ issues. And so that could be clicking in the jaws. It could be pain on opening or limited opening. They can't open fully. It might be hard for them to eat. They might have neck pain, particularly on the right-hand side commonly, as well as the traps, as well as behind the head. So all of these types of things we see commonly. And um, then Cole and I kind of 
work together. We do muscle testing. We do a bit of kinesiology to understand what is that person's body type. So much like there's ectomorph, endomorph, mesomorph, the three main body types, um, we loop in some Ayurvedic concepts. There's like something called a dosha or dosha, which is a, a primary strength of a person. So everyone has a primary strength. Like some people are just better athletes. Other people can eat not so healthy and and still look pretty healthy. Other people are just like supremely emotionally intuitive and um, everybody has strengths. And so the three main strengths are like structural, metabolic and emotional. And they're attached to the different doshas of the Ayurvedic system. And whilst everyone has a primary strength, they're going to have a secondary or a tertiary strength as well but we want our patients to be operating in their primary strength and uh, a lot of the patients that we're treating they have um, they have breakdowns in their primary strength and they denature that's the word that we use then denature to their secondary or tertiary strength and then we're able to test that through the eyes because we've worked out um, through some of our learnings from um, now deceased clinicians um, that uh the cones of the eyes have got different colors red blue green and they actually link up to the doshas and they link up to the way that particular people grind their teeth so this is like true like quantum dentistry in terms of like we're 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 thinking about cones in the eyes we're thinking about colors in through the eyes we're thinking about the way that a person grinds based on their primary strength and if they've denatured to their secondary or tertiary strength, we make specific appliances to help bring them back to their primary strength. So it's like literally using a dental appliance as a implement for healing, as an instrument for healing, because it's like lifting them back up to the foundation that they need to be from which they can then start to heal metabolically, emotionally, um, structurally. So that's basically what we do with adults. And sometimes that rehabilitation could take two, three, four months as that person starts to, now that they've got the platform restored in them through the mouth to restore that optimal rhythmic motion of the bones, which we've lingered on. Now they've got that rhythmic motion, which is their natural rhythmic motion. So yeah, the cool thing there is we're using the mouth to do osteopathy. We're using the jaws and the biting to do osteopathy, restoring that person's inherent, natural, personal rhythmic motion of the bones. Now they're on a foundation where they can heal. Then you loop in light water magnetism. Then you loop in nutrition. Then you loop in consciousness and spirituality and soul, which is like something I'm very passionate about. Um, and we then we start to allow those patients and we watch those patients heal for two, three, four months it might take them. Once we get them to a stage where they're good, as then we look at the phase two type of treatment, which is what do we need to do in the mouth to make permanent changes in the mouth to support all of the changes we've made in the rest of the body. Coming back to what I said earlier, the mouth closes the postural circuit of the body. So now that we've changed everything, we've used the mouth to deliver osteopathic care. Now we use different appliances to help restore that person's face and their jaws and their teeth to the optimal position so that they bite correctly with their newly restored postural system. So then the fascia all clicks into place. And then, as we know, fascia is all water. 
what is the quantum communication highway. We can structure it all we like, but if we don't have the posture right, the information can't get through. And so that's what we do for adults, which is like so, so phenomenal because um, there's a huge need for it. There are so many people that are struggling with TMJ issues after orthodontics with teeth that have come out, et cetera. And um, they're not getting results and they're seeing specialists and the specialists are recommending surgeries. And a lot of the time the, sur the surgery doesn't work because it's just cutting the jaws and moving them, et cetera, but it's not being done or considered in concert with the rest of the system. But once again, it comes back to that, that really basic concept, which Cole and I always operate with, which is the body has its inherent natural ability to heal. We're just giving it a different non-linear environmental cue through the appliances in the mouth to help deliver and restore that natural rhythmic movement of the cranial and sacral bones. And so it's much like light is an environmental cue. We're using the mouth and these appliances as a different environmental cue, treating the mouth and the body as a whole non-linear system. Um, so to me, that that's what true quantum dentistry looks like. Then um, it's something I thought about which is uh, the fact that the teeth lie on meridians. Um, so I do have something in the works, which is um, bioresonance, where I'll be able to not only assess people from a whole health perspective by assessing the electrical flow through the meridians. It's not necessarily diagnostic, but it is, um, it is powerful information to help guide a patient on their healing journey. And um, we can even couple the information that we're testing on the meridians of the hands and feet um, to the electrical flow through the teeth. And then we can see, is there a systemic condition which is expressing itself through the tooth, through a tooth, which is why a tooth may be sore, even though clinically and on an x-ray, there's no sign or reason for it to be sore. Or vice versa, is there a tooth which um, might have a root canal therapy, which is causing some sort of systemic issue? So that's something which I'm working towards. Um, I'm thinking about it. If there's a demand for it um, in in my patients, then I'll consider exploring it further. But right now, my passion with the adult side of things is really kind of what I've elaborated on with this kind of colors, Ayurvedic doshas, the natural grinding patterns. Because for me, grinding isn't necessarily a bad thing. I just want people to grind the way that their teeth have been designed for them to grind. I'm very grateful and honored to have people travel a long distance to see me. I've had people travel from Western Australia to see me. That's like a five-hour flight. Mm -hmm. You know, it's an absolute honor. But it goes to show that like people will travel for what they what they believe is valuable care. And mm -hmm. I mean, I constantly get questions on social media about like oh can you give me some guidance and that person might be in give me some guidance on on treatment or can i have an opinion etc and that person might be in victoria or brisbane etc but i mean every week i have someone traveling from interstate to come and see me so it's like i hate to say it but just get on the plane and come and see me i can't give you advice properly without really genuinely seeing you face to face and uh it's an honor for me because uh it, it drives me to continue to push the barrier of dentistry and bring dentistry out of what I believe to be just the, um, the dark ages because we've just been focusing on teeth for far too long. And then many of us who are well-meaning integrative um, dentists uh, or functional dentists are focusing on the jaws, but we're still doing a half job. I was personally doing a half job because I wasn't thinking about the cranium. And so 
we have to constantly it comes back to that thing we've got to keep asking questions we've got to keep asking better questions don't we we have to remain curious we have to have humility to um, believe that what i believe to be true can be completely shut down um tomorrow if i come across new information and we just have to continue to activate out this is something i'm very passionate about non-visual photoreception because when our non-visual photoreceptors are working well things like melanin things like water things like dha things like melatonin dopamine etc when they're working well because they're getting the right environmental cues our spider sense for truth our spider sense for what's right goes through the roof and then we're able to pivot literally on a dime if we sense that there is a newer truth out there and uh we never ever climb or scale that mountain of truth because there's always more truth to find but as long as we're always on that mountain climbing then um uh you know we'll be better clinicians um for our patients and we'll heal more people and we'll help to move the needle of what the standard of dental care should be i think that's really what shows uh, shows up in a good in a good clinician in any good healthcare provider is that search for truth. It's knowing that what you're doing perhaps isn't getting the results that you were hoping to get, and like why is that so? And just continually searching. And as you said, that process is one that might last forever because we never truly know anything. But it is the process. So thank you so much, Jalal, for coming on today and sharing all your wisdom. There was just so much to unpack, and that I'm personally going to have to go through and listen to this maybe three or four times. Um, but thank you for your passion and thank you for your time. If if anyone who listens to this podcast wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, well, firstly, thank you so much for having me, Kira. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure and um, I really hope that your listeners benefit from what I've had to share. I can be found uh, on social media. Uh, K2Caliber is my Instagram and Twitter handle, K2C-A-L-I-B-R-E. My website is k2caliber.com. And the quantum kid is also on Instagram and our handle is at the.quantum.kid and our website is thequantumkid.com.au. Please support the program because honestly, honestly, without any bias, it's an incredibly beautiful program and so many children are going to benefit from it. And any parent that listens to this will surely want their children to have the best. And I genuinely believe this to be the most well-rounded approach that I've ever come across. That's beautiful. And then just to reiterate, that program you're holding, the Quantum Kid, that's in Byron and also Sydney, Australia? Yeah, so every month we get together in Sydney for a full week and, mm -hmm. um, you know, we're usually booked out half a month in advance, if not a month in advance. So um, uh, do reach out for that. For Byron Bay, we are starting care in Byron Bay on the 10th of November, just a one day initially just to see how um, things build, but that's already fully booked. And so December, January might look a little bit different if there's more demand for our care. Perfect. So everyone needs to get in quick to secure their spot. We've got like quite a few patients for the Byron program that are traveling down from Queensland, which we're both stoked about. So um, um, there's definitely demand for it in northern New South Wales and southeast Queensland from what we can tell. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Health Standard Podcast. If you enjoyed listening to today's episode, please subscribe to the pod and leave a review on the channel. It helps us out a bunch. Just a reminder that we have new episodes being released bi-weekly on a Monday. If you would like to delve deeper in the meantime into circadian and quantum health, please view the links in the show notes and follow Curly Wellness over on Instagram where I expand on many of the topics covered in today's episode in greater detail. 